I don't need a ball bags. We're back. You can't it's even the, do a squash headset anymore. What the hell's going on with you? It's, it's the Start Up Podcast 3! Yeah. Episode uh, 59. 59. Which uh, doesn't have any significance at all. Uh, I can't think of any. Anyway, um, we, ca- we can think of some things because, as usual, we're back with another exciting selection of uh, pop culture things that people don't talk about enough. Yes. And, and uh, as promised, uh, we had um, an exciting cliffhanger on the, the end of last uh, installment, which I'm sure no one either cared about or remembers. Yeah. <laughs> but we do. It's true. Um, so uh, we're, we're going to talk here about an exciting uh, comic called Havoc. Havoc? What was Havoc? Well, that was a stunt team that, that, <laughs> that worked on Doctor Who. Continues. You are indeed correct. And if you wish to find out more about Havoc, I direct you to the Doctor Who Inferno Special Edition DVD. Yeah. Anyway. There's also uh, Cyclops' brother in the X-Men. He, with the wee concentric ring shit going on. Yeah. yeah One of the finest costumes in, in comic history. Nah, that's push. <gasps> um, <gasps> and also was an X-Factor. That stupid bloody helmet thing. A rubbish. That's because he had that, that old gem that would sort of regulate his cosmic energy. Oh, it was pish. Anyway, oh, yeah, up yours. Right, um, oh. yep, yeah, my yourself. Um, well, let's go back to the year 1991. Uh, 1991 is a special year, specifically a comic dated the 13th of July 1991 from Marvel UK. This comic would have cost you 55 pence or one dollar in America. The comic we speak of is Hammock. Starring Deadlock, and uh, this is the mean first issue. Deathlock. Deathlock. I said Deathlock. I said Deadlock. I did not see Deadlock. Dead I did not. Deadlock's entirely different character. Let's move on. You're 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 just usurping my authority in this episode, aren't you? You said Deadlock. You're just you're just like you're like oh I can't take it that Ralph's doing the intro this time. I'm going to I'm going to like usurp him uh, at all times like an insurrection type thing. Just like in that Star Trek film, but without the ability to slow down time or look like that fit woman that Picard had a thing going for, even though he didn't even get his end of the way at the end of it. And that was ridiculous, that film. You watch all the time through Star Trek Insurrection, and here we go. Cap Picard goes to this planet, and then, and then the, the ship, the ship um, Starfleet Admiral chap, uh, who's doing awful things, right? he defeats, defeats her, that saves the village, that's the one, saves the village, right? Gets, get, there's this woman called Angie or Angie or Shitface, or her name was. And he's trying to run the heart the whole time and, you know, doing perfect moments where he's slowing down time. That's kind of bad. Saves other people, right? At the end of it, he goes, oh, I, I've got 659 million annual leave days left. I think I might come and spend it with you. And then he gets some bloody pick in the cheek. You know, and she even mentions, oh, I like bald men because we don't get bald men here because we don't age normally because we're on the planet of super non-aging. Don't even get his bloody end away. No wonder he never goes back to that planet. That's why Star Trek Nemesis happened. That's why Star Trek Nemesis was, was not really good. Because Picard was in a bad mood because he never got his, his end knocked away in the planet. Anyway, enough of your insurrection. If the insurrection didn't work for Captain Picard, it won't work for you. I think there's other problems wrong with Star Trek Nemesis, not just Picard being it's bad got, It's got shins on the Vemus. Shins on the Vemus is amazing. Bean. Yes. Marina Spears. You know. Uh, anyway. In, um, in, in a pinhead style sketch. <laughs> Uh, see, the thing is, uh, Tom Hardy, who was Shins on the Remus, uh, is a fantastic is, actor. He's a fantastic actor, and, he, and he's gone on to be very successful on stage, film, and television, and is probably, arguably, now what you might call a star. 
But anytime I see him on screen, he'll always be shins under the Mr. Bean. Oh, he's, he's brought, that's a lovely skirt. Looks special, can you blood? Yeah. Anyway, so, insurrections. Now, that brings us back to the topic, which is the main first issue of Havoc, true from uh, July of 1991. Um, uh, now, uh, this actually sort of follows on very slightly in a tangent from our talk about anthology comics in yes. the last podcast. Because um, that's what Havoc was. Havoc was a repackaging of uh, US material for the UK market, which only ran, if I remember rightly, nine issues. I don't think it, I think it just died after nine. I don't remember no, seeing any issues after. No, I think it got to eleven. Did it get to eleven? I'm sure, it was eleven. Because I had it on order from my local newsagent, and uh, the last issue he was able to get was issue nine, which is why I've always assumed that was the last one to be published. I think it was eleven. I uh, you may be correct now, but generally it, it didn't last long and died. And um, it was launched as it was fortnightly, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. It was launched basically, so at the time Marvel UK were going, we're going to repackage uh, certain uh, US material and uh, the more sort of superhero-y type stuff, the things that were more accessible, well, this went into Havoc and the stuff that wasn't went into the monthly title Meltdown. Uh, yeah, well what it was is at the time you had, this was before the Marvel UK universe yeah. sort of came about. So this was around, they'd already started, they were in mid-flow with uh, the complete Spider-Man, yep. which was basically all four of Spider-Man's uh, monthly US titles packaged together in one 100-page omnibus, in the U- actually in a US format size as well, mm-hmm. which is, it was, uh, I love that, because it was, I know it was a couple of quid, but yep. you had 100 pages of comics. It's from right Yeah, as I'm saying, yeah. one that, but you got 100 pages. It was a slab. Yeah. And that went to 23, 24 issues and then got repackaged as exploits of Spider-Man. Yeah. But I digress. So this, was, yeah. so this predates this. And obviously before, and this is kind of before X-Men mm-hmm. hit, because X-Men 1, uh, the Jim, Chris Claremont Jim Lee, you could pick that up on ev- almost every UK news agent. Because yeah. oh, it, it, it managed to get into the, sort of the normal distribution channels, which was bizarre because you would get sporadically get US comics and W.H. Smith and jo- sorry, John Menzies. Yes, but it was always random. You could count, well, except Batman, you always got Batman, right, but everything Batman. else, well, mine's always got Batman, which was but uh, you would get a, a mix of them. So this was the time that, so Marvel, at this point, Transformers is arguably on the slide. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, let's be honest, it's a licensed toy. So there's six months left. It's, it's fortnightly, we're in the throes of the Unicorn battle actually at this point yep. in time. Yeah, they've run um, out of the material that just didn't originate covers at this point. Yep, so we have. Uh, this is kind of uh, looking at. And as Paul Neary said, they, they were always trying to get a 2000 AD for Marvel UK. So this is arguably probably before the, before Overkill was yeah. came in, as close as you're going to get, because it does kind of have that tone of it's harder edged. Yeah, the general the idea was it's, it's violence. They're selling you violence, that was the idea. It was like, do you like Tales AD? Do you like Marvel Comics? Maybe this is a comic for you. Yeah. It's generally... Uh, and it was. Yeah, because uh, the, the first issue on the cover introduces Deathlock, who's quite a scary looking cyborg chap. He's a muscle chap with some kind of metal suit. got a big gun, he's got like a half skull, half robot face. There's explosions, he's got the word mean on the front. Everything about this is designed to make you go, oh, this is a bit more uh, harder-edged or more suitable for me, this isn't a wee kiddies comic. Um, and uh, features, uh, so it features that, that strip. It also features uh, Conan. The Barbarian. Indeed. Uh, Robocop, the Star Slammers and Ghost Rider. 
Uh, no, actually, it's not fortnightly because in this year it tells me it's published weekly. What's it? Yes, it's published weekly by Marvel Comics. Also, the Dizia also tells me Reader and Weep Punks. I like messages in Dizia. As, as we mentioned before, I always read the Dizia in all magazines because uh, they often have things written in them. Uh, now, to help you sort of get up to speed uh, on the strips inside, uh, because some of them had you know, not, been in, not been put in the UK before, or in the case of Conan, not been printed in the UK for quite a few years uh, prior to this. Yes. Yes, because yes. I'm going to have to disagree with you. No. Yes. yes. No. Uh huh. Savage Sword of Conan was available in almost every John Menzies. It was one of the few. That that died years before. No, it didn't. Yeah, it did. It did. It did. did. Savage Sword of Conan died in the bloody mid 80s. No, it went to the 90s. Colin McNeil did one about 93. Are you thinking of the other Conan title? I was thinking of the previous one. Because that was issue 93 and it died when it was Secret Wars. The US uh, black and white magazine Savage Sword of Conan continues ah, to be the UK one. No, 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 no. Well, the US one wasn't widely distributed over here. Not wearing Glasgow, wearing Glasgow, nowhere near there. Glasgow hates Conan. Yeah. Fact! Basically, when, I, was Conan, Conan, when, I, when I got the Hammer comic, that was the first time I'd seen Conan and a new news agent since the UK uh, Conan comic folded in the early 80s. No, because well, I got this yeah. when we were in Perth and I got this from the local spa in Scoon. I say Perth. I say the scare was a big village outside of Perth. But the jo- John Menzies in Perth mm-hmm. always had Savage Sword of Conan. As I, had no yeah. idea, I had no idea it existed at yeah. all, other than the previous one. So anyway, um, so it, can, it comes with a, a data file, uh, free from Marvel, which has some nice uh, artwork and the explanation, because the actual title page uh, just says the action starts here, but uh, the actual data file tells you, Quiet Havoc! They used to call them anti-heroes. If the terms dropped from use, it's only because they're no longer the oddity they once were. So the idea of putting five of them in one collection seemed like a good idea. Good, because anti-heroes have all the fun. They don't hold back. They look after number one. Things are simpler that way, and more fun for us. The five stars in Havoc hit the ground running with no recrimination, no regrets. They go for it. Enjoy. Face it. This is no place for sensitive souls. Havoc. Action with a capital H. Each and every Monday, be here. So obviously, um, that's telling you what the point of the comic is. Uh, so if you were to come across an issue of this with the data file missing, you have no idea why it's a package together. Uh, so for each of the characters, you get a nice um, piece of paint artwork on the left-hand side, uh, illustration of them, and a little description of them on the right. So you've got that for Deathlock and Conan and the other chappies as well. So, very helpful. Yeah, I mean, out of them all, let's see, Robocop should be familiar because he was back up in The Punisher, mm-hmm. which had probably not long died at this point. I think The Punisher had been and gone by this point. I'm saying yeah. it did get, was yeah. it near the end of 1990 or? Around about then. Yeah, so probably been off the shelves about between six to eight months, I think. Yeah. So, and also, Robocop, you'd seen your films, everyone knew, and yeah. Obviously, World Cup 2 was probably out about this time. Mm-hmm. In the yeah, UK, anyway. Yeah, it was 91, wasn't it? Yeah, in the UK, yeah. anyway. Uh, in fact, there is actually a, a feature page, which is pretty much the only originated content, called Eye Level, which used to run, which would give you news about hard edged uh, movies, videos, comics, TV, and sights and sounds. Uh, this particular one advertises upcoming stuff such as uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, Terminator 2. 
which apparently has a bizarre plot twist. And this, the most expensive movie ever made, coming in over 125 million. The Rocketeer from Disney is also coming soon. On video, uh, Robocop and Robocop 2 are in your local video shops. Uh, news on the hour is that Robocop 3 is in production for, cin- for release in cinema next year, and Robocop 4 is said to be in the planning stages. Uh, and it advertises that issue 2 will give away 20 copies of the second tape of the Robocop cartoon, uh, which would be the first one because Alpha Command wouldn't have been out at this point. Uh, advert for Meltdown, the aforementioned uh, monthly sort of version, and uh, also advertising Nice Up and Dragon. And uh, for TV fans, you can also purchase Marvel's Doctor Who magazine and Star Trek Next Generation. And then it ends with sights and sounds. Havoc will blast you with more from the film and video worlds as it happens every weekend. And as we accelerate our input, we'll keep you in touch with new video games, role-playing weirdness, hot likes from the music scene, and much more. Cry Havoc at your newsagents now before it's too late. And then there's a picture of the cast from Star Trek 6, because, hey, why not? And that's pretty much was it. Um, I asked, it was okay. I well, it was uh, alright. Yeah, it was a it was a mixed bag, and there was an anthology. Uh, so, it's a case of it's not meant for everyone. It starts off ironically with the very first Conan tale. Uh, first Jennifer first Jennifer daughter with uh, Barry Windsor Smith. Uh, Stars Landlords uh, was a creator-owned property by Walt Simonson, mm-hmm. which was doomed never to actually get his proper epilogue until it got... Because then, when it died here, it then came out in America through Malibu. Mm-hmm. When Malibu went on its arse, it uh, ended up getting the last issues of Special through Dark Horse. Just one of these creator-owned properties that was, go- that was doomed. Yeah. Gorgeous artwork, it's Walt Simonson. Mm-hmm. Not going to go wrong with it. Uh, Deathlock, decent enough. Decent enough, I don't think it really holds up particularly well, but I still have a certain fondness for it. Robocop, more interesting for actually if you ever get an interview with Lee Sullivan, the artist on it, who talks about the fact that the editor of Robocop was one of the writers of Deathlock, so many a time an idea was put to him that he sabotaged because they wanted to do it with Deathlock, because obviously that was a Marvel creation. Uh, So, and you also have as a case of, and Robocop is actually the, the, probably the least of the strips because it's written by Alan Grant yep. who is long-term co-writer of Judge Dredd. And indeed we reviewed a, an issue of this very comic before yep. on this very podcast. And it's a case of he is a fantastic writer and that would be ideal fit for that but curiously there's no teeth to, to the Robotec, Robocop. Yeah. So it does feel very But then fine. this is also the period when it was being retailed for kids. You had toy lines, you had cartoons... Yeah. Um, and various things like that. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's, it's one of those weird things. Funnily enough, I do see quite a lot of comic fairs. Yeah, uh, I've often been moaned and, and, and constantly moaned about um, the number. I mean, I've been to hundreds of these damn things over the years in various places, comic fairs. But it's always been such a paucity of UK material. Bizarrely enough, at UK comic fairs. But one of the ones that does tend to turn up very often, despite the fact that it's nothing. There's no original material in it at all and it had a very short run. It's fun enough havoc. It's weird. Yeah, Mel- <laughs> Meltdown, you can always find issue one. Yeah. Woe betide if you're looking for any other issues. Now they got five as well. Yeah, if you're number five of that. Because yeah. then... At least I actually told you it was the last issue. Yeah, because what happened then was around that time, exploits of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there f- no day after that that the X-Men comic came out. 
quite yeah. likely. Because they, they, they did X-Men specials, curiously, before they actually did the regular X-Men. That's right. Uh, and funnily enough, I see a lot of them, a lot of them tend to turn up in the uh, Oxfam end, but the two Oxfam stores are forever finding really issues, of, covered covers, issues, of, issues of the X-Men comics turn up quite a lot. Because it, it went with the animated adaption episodes, which had art by Andy Wildman, with the uh, Jim Lee Wilkes Portacio era, mm-hmm. which is a good jumping on yeah. point. And it had some, uh, some original material every now and then. Yes. So, we have Crowded Havoc. We have. We have. What, what will we do now? Don't know. Are you twixting the horns of a dilemma? Aye. Uh, okay. I think what we'll lie to you then is, is, is before our television torment, uh, I see you've uh, brought a, a classic comic. I have brought a classic, a classic comic of you, in very good condition, considering it's from December 1985. It's in very good nick, actually. Uh, it's in far better condition than my copy. It's one of two copies I own. <laughs> I'm not surprised one of two copies you own. Um, what is this comic? This comic is is uh, the Transformers number thirty nine. Talking about Transformers in this podcast. Oh, we actually don't really review Transformers comics. A huge well, one of the reason why we don't tend to talk about Transformers a lot is because we love them. They're amazing. We love them. I, manipulate, I manipulate them all the time. And then uh, I fucking hate my costume. Mm-hmm. He's not colours. Superior's not coloured that way. He's the wrong size. But actually, yes. Let's digress. This is a subject we kind of talked about at so at auto assembly, which has just happened for us uh, a few days ago. But obviously, probably about a month ago now. Is uh, used to be you have so having been long time Transformers attendee goes is. Uh, the questions now. The when fans ask questions of the talent there, the guest beat comic creators or voice artists, we're fans of them. So there is a little critical faculty that will always go out the window for all of us. That's true. Even the most redoubtable. I mean, I will sit and uh, cock cock snoot at many a poor question and had said the same with. I was talking to a friend of the podcast, Mr. Chris McFeely, but he like knew the other so well. Podcast, Mr. Mm-hmm. Lingrosh. Yeah, uh, but. Chris knew for well that Steve Blum was there, that he would go all squee and fangirl because there's just someone that mm-hmm. whose work has had an influence on him and, and a, a massive impact. So there's always that way, but when you're not the one asking the question, you can occasionally sit and, and go, who asked that question? That's a daft question to ask. Now, that's this case of, it's easy to judge, which mm-hmm. is why we do it. Exactly. But, but in all fairness, there used to be, going back to the halcyon days of some of the early... Uh, Transforce, which was yes. the other UK convention. Uh, my very first one back in 2002, I got, thankfully I was there, obviously with Ralph and, and Graham and all the like, and I, when the question answers with Furman came, came out, I was pointed out a couple of individuals, it's like, watch them, because they're going to ask the questions, the ones that are going to kill the room. Uh, one chap asked about a colouring error in one of the episodes of the cartoon to Simon Furman, who had no involvement in the original Transformers cartoon, and also almost certainly being that he was a writer, was not part of the ink and paint department of a Korean animation studio. It's true, but <laughs> that, that, that question was also asked again at Transformers 2004, yes. uh, which is also the convention where you had the chap who was walking around with post-it notes in his forehead yeah. continuously, and he was just going to the and go, I love Metallicato, please tell me all about how the master of Metallicato does things. And you saw Furman kind of pause and go, well, <laughs> Bludgeon is one of the characters around. Yeah. Uh, and also uh, a chap who had his own aligned continuity. Oh, and he was oh, the he room was, killer. He was brilliant, I loved him. But he killed the room when he asked the question. Because you could see, uh, now, 
We know Simon Furman, having uh, shared a drink with him uh, at an informal post convention back in March and most convention, and he is a fantastic showman. We were at the panel, and the Ed McCormick Mart wasn't a huge amount of people. There were about literally five of us. Uh, there was actually seven, however, I'd like to point out that uh, five, of, five of us were TMUK. There was four of us, and there was Mr. Skillet, Mr. Graham Brown, behind us. Yeah. And I didn't twig until half of this. Oh, and that's another, it's another of the team. <laughs> Yes. But he gave it like he, he talked to us. He talked like to us and he was talking to about two hundred people. Yes. Yeah. Uh Mr. John Paul Bovey, he yes. was just as enthusiastic. Uh, but you had had him asking questions about how this contradicted his his own head cannon. Yeah. And it's one of these times where you did see the mask slip and you yeah, could just picture it. I I I I uh, I must go crazy. I mean one one of the reasons why I was, I was particularly annoyed spending most of the last little assembly in um, pain <laughs> as, as I recall the last podcast was I didn't really uh, I meant I wasn't really up for uh, doing the rounds and going and trying to catch all the people because I was just knackered most of the time because uh, one of the things he plays he played convention bingo you know and actually I'm going to actually probably get a card made up we are for next year we're going to probably because the, there's a and if you happen to be on it yeah, don't take offence no, no there's, there's a certain fan and we love him and he's I will not slag him off because um he, he always comes to Toy Fist all of the year, except for this year actually. But he's been able to come to Toy Fist all the past few years and spent very, very generously and, and helped buy a lot of things as opposed to kids. But he's, he's a. I, I won't name him, but you'll know He's a softly spoken man, an adult man, uh, maybe in his early 40s by now. And he, he's got lists, and he likes to go around with lists and uh, various other. But uh, I think it was 09, he had a fabulous political tract. Uh, which was like hand scrawled and photocopied about the demons in Westminster and how, you, how David Cameron was. No, no, it wasn't David Cameron. No, it was before David Tony Cameron. Blair. Tony Blair. Sorry, it was the devil. And he gave us these political pamphlets, and unfortunately, we all lost every copy because this is the best craziness I have ever come across the convention. It was beautiful. It was like, I mean, fair enough, he, was just, he wasn't being pol- uh, impolite or rude, he was just, how are you, hello, and just handing, you, handing these little leaflets out. That's perfectly acceptable. He was handing them out to guests, but he wasn't battling them, he was just handing it to them. So we were sitting having a banner. And he handed it, and you read the first page and you go, well that's kind of normal. And then with every passing page, the writing which was previously in a straight line, started to go squalling down the side and of the page. Was, and there were drawings. It was the Space Invader style, yeah. as with the, it's like, I think it was the evil faces of Tony Blair, the evil faces of Tony Blair. on the, 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 the space invading ships going down. That's right, he cut bits of headlines from newspapers to say the evil and devil and uh-huh. beast. And like this, as, as the writing became ever more skewed and spidery, and it was it was beautiful. And we just haven't had that kind of level of craziness at a convention uh, uh, recently. I mean, I was quite disappointed. I mean, I said, oh, several this year, duty, as I said, pain and the stall. Um, I only got a chance to actually go in and sit on one panel, which is the regeneration one one. I don't recall any daft questions or mental ones at all. Yeah. And in fact, due to the bloody loud PA system, uh, from where we were, I could hear. The, the left ear a lot of the panels uh, but I wasn't dealing with customers and so obviously I may have missed a few because I wasn't concentrating on it but I didn't hear any particularly bad, bad ones it's like where, where are the fuck nuggets bring on the fuck nuggets I'm sorry this is unacceptable I know everyone in these conventions are getting a wee bit older now every year now you, you start to see people bring in their partners and now their kids and, and things like that and you know there's there's some of the demographics getting a bit older, more mature, you know. Think like older, fucked up, not more mature. Fuck, fuck, well, I think it is getting more mature. Where's my fucking questions about 
Dear Simon Furman, three minutes into Sumble episode five, why the sun so trip over these all arsehole? You know, where's where's that kind of stuff? Well, why yes. are people asking asking and uh, uh, voice artists what happened in page fifty of the comic probably ten years and ago? What we're about to do is next year's All Assembly two thousand fourteen does have happen to have F, F Flint Dilly coming along who currently is on uh, has been doing comics for IW's done monstrosity uh, uh, the, uh, autopsy autopsy. and the upcoming primacy. Yes. Which oh, inadvertently spoiler to his I have only just learned about now, I didn't know there was one called that. He, in his video he just mentions primacy oh, and right. it's not really talked about a lot. So uh, but he he was one of the people who took over uh, on transit he was one of the showrunners on, on the cartoon. He also took over uh, Ron Friedman did the original treatment and draft of the Transformers movie and Flint Dilly was one of the people that did a lot of the writing after it that gave us the familiar. The final just version is this. However, this is our call to arms now, Star yes. Wars. Do not ask him any questions about this. No. Ask him questions about five, five faces, faces of, of darkness. darkness. Because it's grand. I love yeah. it. Because here's the thing, right, right? He's fated in the fandom now for yeah. the movie and, and he, he he plays that up a bit. Yeah. You know? Which is fair yeah, enough. Right. I mean, you know, it's a fair enough job and writer think like this. It's nice to do remember stuff. And also, uh, he's been interviewed a lot. He did Friends of the Podcast, you know, back to days. I'm sure yes. they had him on and talked um, about movies. So, so he's not really dead. However, no one ever talks about Five Faces of Darkness. I love Five Faces of Darkness. Five Faces of Darkness uh, is the first five episodes of what we've come to call Season 3 of the Sunbow Show and has a reputation that's not that great. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. People uh, don't talk about it or they think it's a bit poo. It's one of the... Well, it's... it's again... It's in effect, it's a direct sequel to Transformers the movie. Yes. It's in effect, you put edit together and make it make Transformers the movie too. And I'm sure there are people who have done that. I have no doubt. Uh, people who have done that. If you haven't, Transformers fandom, I'm, yeah, not angry. I'm just disappointed. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, it's also one of, there are a smattering of the episodes in see, the back half of series two, which we don't talk about because the back half of series two is bullshit. But it's the ones where ACOM are doing most of the animation for, which is noticeably for the flatter colour palette and the poorer quality animation. Mm. Which mars other classics such as Dark Awakening. Indeed. So, uh, again, I think coming off that, particularly as the first episode uses clips from the movie to bring you up to Some speed. Some of the score from the movie as, as well. well yeah. yeah, so it brings you right up to speed. And then it's like, oh, look at this, great. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. It's like, fuck's sake, some just ran into a brick wall. I think probably it helps that, that I don't really hold up the Sunball cartoon or some kind of holy grail. Uh, because I I mean, I saw, the, I saw the movie in cinema when it came out with my parents and loved it. And it's one of those things about which I have no critical faculties whatsoever. None whatsoever. Because uh, we didn't have, to explain, we, didn't, we couldn't afford to buy a video player. Uh, so we didn't have the VHS. In fact, I didn't get the VHS until I went to university. And second year of university in 96 or 7, when I was staying with my mates, and I was like, ah, Let's buy Transformers with VHS. Let's do a drinking game where you take a drink every time you someone transforms. Hadn't seen it in ten years. I was drunk by the end of the battle of Albert City as I'm literally on the floor, unable to rise. Um, that was a good day. But anyway, yeah, Transformers so it had a seeing impact on me uh, because it was referenced so much in the comics, which the last page told us was the one true version of Transformers. Yes, yes, it was. Yes, to this day. To this day, and there was a comics adaptation special which we've whacked for the call about before that was read to fucking death. So that was there. And the Ladybird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's really it. The Sunbow Show, um, I didn't see any episodes of top. No, only that I ever saw as a kid was being in John Menzies once, and they had a television in the corner, and some they were, they were showing, they had a video on that was a broadcast, I don't know, 
but there was the last few minutes of Megatron's Master Plan Part 1 or the Autobots and the shuttle heading towards the sun? Uh, probably a video because yeah. uh, unless they had a sky hookup, Transformers had moved off to rest yeah. broadcasting that part. I said, and I remember, and I remember standing and watching being transfixed. So that's why I have a certain love of the last five minutes. But I didn't see it as a kid, and I didn't, and I saw the all the occasional episode on uh, dial-up days or on the university internet network where you had the little view play windows that were like a tiny postage stamp in yeah. the corner and you watch things like Starscream's Ghost where I'm squinting quite you a lot. You kids in your broadband <laughs> and, going, yeah. and, and I was still waiting, but I didn't get to see most of the show until the DVDs started to come out in the early 2000s. And generally my opinion of it, my opinion on it has actually softened a bit over the years. Previously I was, what a lot of shit. But it softened on a wee bit. And it's not the case of, I love the animation models. I like the voice acting. Um, I like the colour palette in it, but I would say three quarters of it is unmitigated shit. I'm but the quarter that I love, I really, really love. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. You know, I, I did 20, odd, 20 or so episodes of it, because there's 98, 20 or 25 episodes of it that I really like, I really, really like, because they're just great fun to watch. And five of those episodes are Five Faces of Darkness Part 25, which it's like, it's, it's not a great drama. It's not even a good sequel to the movie. It's not even good episodes in some book show. But it's just, I, the, the, it just has a certain crazy mad bastardness to it because one of the things about the Sunbow show, which I think is why my matches have softened to it a bit over the last few years, uh, in addition to you know aging and being less angry in life, because apparently that's what happens with men, that the chemicals that make you angry kind of change or something. Yeah, not really done much for me. And also, <laughs> which ties into why I think no um, continuation of Sunbow done by fans or official has ever really worked is. What when you go back and you look at some of the kids' cartoon, it's mad bastard ideas every episode. It's mental. It's in no way realistic or gritty. It's in no way like it's just here's a mad idea in this episode. Megatron does something mad. Here's one where sea spray gets turned into human. Here's one, and that's what actually makes it a lot more watchable. So I generally find even with the three quarters of it, which I describe as shit, I will still occasionally put it on, and I will be actually entertained. That's one of the strange things with people like us. We can say something is shit, but still enjoy it. Yes. So anyway, so the campaign begins because I genuinely love my face of darkness and I want to ask him questions about that if he remembers anything about it because one of the things he's been quite clear about the interviews before and I think it was in the back of today's interview uh, where he mentioned it specifically him another another writer that they interviewed on that show whose name escapes me as they were churning these things out because he was involved in G.I. Joe, Humanoids all, the all these things, you know they, they were literally writing these things in a day Tossing them off and then moving on to the next show. So, anyway, so just before talking about it, what was I going to say before we started talking about Transformers for ten minutes? Is the reason why we don't generally talk about Transformers much is because the the UK and the US are very well served by a huge panoply of uh, podcast shows about Transformers. In fact, there's so many of them I can't listen to them all. Uh, not to mention other shows. So, Andy, Transformers UK issue thirty nine. Yes. Back on topic. Yes. That's only 15 minutes of wandering away. That's not too bad for us. That's actually quite good. Yeah, okay. uh, now, just to explain, I, I'm an army rat, so we, we moved about a bit. So I spent most of what I would call my, my early, early formative years in Germany, so I have a deep and abiding love of uh, uniforms. <laughs> Slightly far right. I'm just kidding. Uh, but sausages. We, <laughs> everyone loves a bit of sausage. But we had uh, He-Man was the big thing there, but also Robo Machine, which is what you all know as GoBots. So I was no stranger transforming robots, having had copious amounts of toys, which were smaller and a lot more fun, actually, than a lot of the Transformers 
it's all right, but it's true. Well, a, lot, I had a lot more play value than some of the robots I had, than, or machine robot. So I came, I came across to, uh, back to Britain in 19, Easter 1985. Mm-hmm. And I got a toy of Grimlock from my uncle, which was fantastic, because you could just hurt people's fingers with his jaws. Yeah. So that's the first of me getting any exposure to Transformers. But it does, does still be at this point that this is quite interesting, that one of your earliest formative things is the joy of making your toy inflict pain upon other people. It says a lot. Anyway, move yeah. on. And a friend of mine had the issue, uh, issue 20, the second half of Megatron and Shockwave, where Shockwave wins, which I thought was fantastic. Looking back now, it's got awful artwork. It's still, still storytelling, but yeah, awful, yeah. So, but I didn't really see Transformers until one of our local news agents started getting it, and so I, I picked up an issue. And unusually for me, I went back and got another issue, the next one. Mm-hmm. And I got my parents at that point, like, can, I, can we just get an order in regularly so I can go and just pick it up on a Saturday morning? Uh, and they kind of went, well, you spent your pocket money on that last week. Yeah, I think, they, I think you might be sticking with this one. Unbeknownst to me, they already bought me the annual, as well, yeah. which we've talked about at length. So this Transformers issue 39 is the first one of my regular order. Of, December uh, which, 1985. Which then meant that my Saturday mornings were a sprint to the newsagent to get this to come back in time for Captain America and Transformers when it was on the White Wick Club. These were little rituals. So it also has probably my favourite comics cover of all time. It is US issue 12, uh, Optimus Prime shoot the Autobots. But they've added a little strap plane for the Prime, UK version. Optimus Prime, Autobot Killer. Which is why it's impossible for some of us to look at the US cover and not see Optimus Prime Autobot Killer in our heads. Yes. Uh, so it's, it's kind of it's my it's the first of my regular order as such. I would then get the on all So it has obviously one of the one of the crowning joys of it. Uh, the design work of the, the pages aged not all that well. But having read, if you go to the UK classics, you'll find out about things like paste up and electroset. It's a lot easier to do it on computers now. I can attest than doing anything by hand. Has a rather fantastic Robo Capers, but sadly, it doesn't have King Nono's in it. Oh, I really went into to Marvel then and complained that their comic from December 1985 was subpar. Oh, yeah, exactly. Twigs. Oh, I don't think you can. I think this is before it moved. No, this is where it's still a meeting place. Oh, this is before, before it moved. on Wendell Street. Exactly. That letter's going nowhere. Fuck. Uh, has a little sidebar giving you what's coming soon. What is coming soon, Andy? Well, basically, this and next issue see something of a resolution to the current Transformers storyline, the conclusion that you're going to have to see to believe, but we're not about to rest on our laurels. Coming hot on the heels of this epic is a package of the most amazing stories yet. Just look what's coming up. Lethal Christmas wishes from Circuit Breaker, leadership crises from both the Autobots and the Decepticons, a human with the power to possess Transformers, the Dinobots and the Rampage, return of one of the most powerful Decepticons, introduction of five new Autobots, and wait for it, Wait for it. I'm not assembly catch line. Catch me there. Uh, I'll look at what's been happening on Cybertron. Fuck's sake, spoilers, eh? I know. You know it's funny, actually, because uh, the big bit of people complain about spoilers, and a lot of the complaints I see online that we got spoilers of Transformers comics are people who read the solicits. Now, I fully understand if you read the solicits, if, say, you're doing a podcast, and uh, part of your podcast is reporting an upcoming Transformers news, or it's about comics, you've got to go to read it, you know, yeah. to, to do stuff like that. But generally, you've got a choice. And, and I always see people complain. They go, oh, this is part of the solicit spiral that I was like, don't read the bloody solicits. But sometimes, I will agree with some of their points, which is sometimes the solicits give too much away. Because the difference between teasing you, which is what that does with upcoming stuff, and giving the game away. 
And I understand why solicits sometimes give more of a spoiler than you would, because at the end of the day, remember, the point of them, dear listeners and internet people, is not to make you buy the comic, it's to make the comic shop buy the comic. You're not really not supposed to read that. But it does make me sometimes harken back to simpler days like this where you wouldn't get a quarter of the comic put online to make you buy it. You just got a few sentences saying, oh. And quite frankly, I remember kind of reading that and going, fuck's sake. Well, I didn't because I was like, you know, a child and didn't know what the world fuck meant. Um, so I would say something like, egads or, or wizards instead. And look, look at all this crazy shit that's going to happen. Yeah. And so we kick off with Brenton, which is issue 12 of the US on the first half of it. With Baboon, not quite the best, but close. Uh, from Bob Budiansky, arguably the man, aside from Mr. Furman, who has done more to shape Transformers. Mm-hmm. Uh, pencils by Herb Trip. Hey. Uh, inks by Al Gordon. Hey. Letters by Janice Chang. Hey. Colours by Neil Yontov. Yes. Uh, edited by Mike Carlin. Hey. And editor chief, uh, Jim Shooter. And it basically, hey. and the best thing about this is, it's one of the things that modern comics forget is, Every issue is somebody's first. So I get a splash page. Then the next page I get a very dense recap of previous events. Indeed. I'm up to speed with how Optimus Prime's head's been taken by that Buster's got the creation matrix mm-hmm. in him. He's used him to dissemble the unalive jet fire uh, and he's on his way to try and free Optimus Prime. Mm. It's all good. Yeah. It also has. Say, I'm not going to go hugely into the story because it's been printed loads and loads of times. But and it's available now digitally and in print. Yes. Uh, it's great. It's got Decepticons, obviously, ruling the roost in the Black Rock Aerospace. 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 Plant. Plant. Uh, easier said than done. Uh, he would have been Tony Stark if they'd let him stay in the Marvel Universe. It's got, it's got Rumble sweating. Yeah. Sweating Rumble. Yeah. So when you go back and you complain about modern Transformers comics being too human, they were sweating in 1985. Yes. And no one gave a toss. Now, I just have to stop you here as you turn the page. This is one of the adverts which has burned into yes. my mind. It was in the back cover of so many yeah. comics. Now, what, what the, the UK comic got, um, and also on television, is obviously uh, a lot of US readers will be familiar with your printed toy adverts and your, your uh, television adverts, thank you. Um, but the UK, we had their own special ones. They were TV ones with the sort of grid. And unfortunately, not many of them seem to have survived other than the Ultra Magnus one. No, uh, if you get the, the Australian one. No, the Australian movie DVD, right. the original release has got quite a few of them on it as well. Oh, interesting. I'll have to have a look at that. But, um, but generally, there, there were a series of, of um, UK adverts that ran all the way through. But the first few ones are probably because they've got the whole grid background. A couple of kids and box art. And lots of descriptions of the new toys. And this was the one for... Optimus Prime and Megatron, which made it quite frankly one of the most exciting adverts yeah. ever made. And this was the Christmas where Optimus Prime was the biggest selling toy in the UK. Yep. Again, leads into the red on the terrible anecdote, which we're going to do because we've done it. It's like the iPad in this podcast. <laughs> and then it's on round at the old one iPatches. It's the bizarre thing though, is I didn't know anybody who had a Megatron. I never there was a kid, I can't remember what kid, but I. I didn't know anyone personally who owned Megatron. I never but s- what what my primary school was quite good could have it actually is that almost all the boys and some of the girls were mad at the Transformers. So basically up until Headmaster either. Um, and, and everyone always brought them in to playtime and people were quite good at sharing them. So generally I got I was able to get a chance of playing with just about every UK released 
Transformer uh, up until Headmasters because the distribution of the video was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And there was a kid who had Megatron and his Megatron was broken. And I remember getting a shot of Megatron be really excited and thinking it was rubbish because it didn't look like the comic and it wasn't very good. And I only really got an appreciation of that toy as an adult when I got the, um, the, the, box books, the box style yeah. book issue number six, which is one I will never ever get rid of, no matter how much I have to downsize my collection, because that's the best version of it, because it has all the bits, it's got everything to it. And I can appreciate it as an adult, but as a kid's toy, no. Optimus Prime, yeah. didn't know Optimus Prime, uh, but again, I had a friend who had Optimus Prime, and it was, it was a fantastic toy. And I've since bought that mould, and moved that mould on probably a dozen times yeah. by now. <laughs> So this is basically where the Decepticons learn the Autobots are listening at their plans and yep. they basically put, give Optimus, make it look like they're going to put Optimus's head in the swamp. No. They retrieve him uh, and turns out no, he's being controlled by the Decepticons and he takes out many of the Autobots and it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. Ooh. Next to logical conclusion. Yes. Or the uh, other half of issue 12 yes. to the American. Yeah. Then we have the latest page, Sound Waves. Sound Waves, yep. Any, any um, um, one of the things I really like about these letters pages is you can actually there are several uh, several people who wrote into that. Uh, Mr. Roberts, yes, uh, more than he's director was one of the people. Uh, Peter Hudson, yeah, uh, 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 former Transformers convention host uh, Mr. Paul Cannon wrote into it. Friend of the podcast, the uh, aforementioned Nick Davison, has been longer on my death list because he got his name printed in a comic because he entered the competition of a Robocop video in the three hundreds. Yeah. So, uh, any, any particular letters there uh, that are worth uh, reading out? Oh, uh, dear Soundwave, I've just read issue 33 of the Transformers. In the stock exchange section of the page, you say that you forbid anyone to reply to the proposed swap of yourself for the Autobot Sunstreaker. Well, you should be pleased about this swap because it shows that any person who replies to it must want to get rid of Sunstreaker and replace him with you. The answer is, your logic is sound, carbon based unit. I retract my previous ban on this swap. Ah. See, this is great. This is, we've talked about this before, is they put a character in charge of letters page and wrote in character and it's fun it adds a little yeah. something to I it I mean the, the, the first volume of the Titan comic did try and emulate that to reasonable it success it's, it's why the, one of the best things is 2018 no matter how adult or cutting edge it, tr- it ever tries to be they still adhere to the conceit that the editor of the comic is the alien Tharg yeah and because it, it is the alien Tharg uh, <laughs> it's why the, the, the otherwise Particularly good uh, book, uh, Thrill Power Overload, yeah. is partly a tissue of lies because the author, David Bishop, claims libelously to, to have been an editor of that comic. Yeah. He's like, no, I think you'll find that Tharg may have controlled your actions and may <laughs> allowed you to think you edited the comic, Mr. Bishop, but you didn't. It is great when you hear people uh, previously referring to yeah, I, I used to be a Tharg. Indeed. <laughs> but before you go on the page, the, this is not an edition which had a stock exchange, but this is one that had a Your Choice section yes. on it. What was the your choice? Uh, this week's selection of best come from Matthew Parker of Willingborough. Best cover, issue 29. That was... Decepticon Dumbass. No, 26. What was that? 27, 28. Uh, yes, part one of Decepticon Dumbass. <laughs> yes, get fucking yes, The uh, John Ridgway, Megatron and Optimus on the dam. Well done. Best story, Wrath and Guardian. Okay, I'll give them that, that's a good one. It's a good one. I would still say Warrior School if you're at this point. Indeed. Uh, any, which so means his answer technically wrong. Uh, best fact file is Pearl. Uh, Mr. Shock Pearl on the TMEK okay. board will be very excited to hear. Uh, she missed something to say. Yes. Uh, best cartoon strip, Mobile Capers. Correct. I'll give them that, yeah, yeah, Mobile Capers. Oh, I'd always prefer Matt McCann. 
I love don't, don't you give me the idea. We've had conversations yeah. about this before. You will die. Best calendar, shortwave. Good choice, logical. Best issue, number two. Good choice, issue 26. Warrior School, all in one go. Issue two is a good issue, though. Yes, but Warrior School is still there. Yeah, yeah. Now, again, um, before the internet, um, one of the things that I used to get really excited about in uh, UK uh, Marvel Comics was the classified page, because bizarrely enough, the classified page uh, advertised it is there. They also had an advert for a shop called Future Shock uh, in, in uh, Glasgow, in Scotland, and uh, I've often looked at this advert and thought, a comic shop, an actual shop that just sells comics. What madness is this? And um, one day I got to go to this Fable shop and it was incredibly exciting because US comics were very underdistributed in my area and I managed to get four issues of the US Transformers comic before they were published in the UK. Okay, it had the road jammers in it and stuff, but it was still very exciting. Uh, also, nostalgia comics. They're still going to this day. Yes, although uh, owned by one half of one of the Forbidden Planet. Yes, yeah, visited by me not that long ago. Yeah. Um, Matt a fantastic uh, comic strip and I am still to this day upset uh, that that comic strip finished in 1986 it's I'm one of still the, upset at the end of that it's the end one of these comics by. that I've, I've got an appreciation for it now more as an adult I didn't oh, enjoy it as a kid I, I, actually, I actually genuinely when, it, when the, the last strip was published and it came out I actually genuinely cried and <laughs> got me upset um, then we've got Machine Man 2020 Yes, uh, not Machine Man 2020. I'm talking Machine, Machine Man. Man. Uh, it's got Iron Man 2020 in it. It's the first part of the last issue of the U, the four four issue mini, which uh, would first again, quarter of it. Yeah, which would again be reprinted in the 300s. Yes, and uh, I although I've had to downsize many of my trades, I have kept the trade of that. Yes, because it's gorgeous. It's lovely. Although why is it not being reprinted in Iron Man 2020? I don't know if I've that out yet. I'm not seeing it. I think it is because friend of the podcast Phil was. Re- told me, I'm sure, that that was out because I will buy that. Okay, it I will buy the shit out of Iron Man 2020. Yeah. Uh, but basically, Barry yeah. Windsor Smith. Also features an evil Simon Furman. Uh, no, he's a good Simon Furman. No, but he looks... He's Gears Garvin. Ah, no, but he, lo- no, I said he looks... No, he's evil because he just, he just looks like a sinister even though he's a hero. There we go. Very good. Uh, next issue, what does... Tell us how you should read out the next issue box. Optimus Prime Strikes Back. This is what we've been leading up to for the last 18 issues. 18, 18 issues. 18 issues. Wow. And that's not even 18 weeks because it's, in fact... No, it's weekly at this point. Yes, but also remember it's... Uh, why isn't weekly with 27? Yes, right, so, so, so it's more yeah. than 18 weeks. Probably half a year. Yeah. Uh, this is what we've been leading up to for the last 18 issues. This is the battle that had to come. The last deal, what we know, Optimus Prime takes on Septicon Commander Shortwave in a fight to the finish. Who will emerge as the victor? What will the result mean for the future of the Autobot the Septicon War? We're not about to swamp you with the answers here. But we feel like you'll be back in seven days' time to find out for yourselves. So we live there, someone's ended up the swamp. Oh. Also this issue, Machine Man drops in to see his old enemy Sunset Bane, and the final confrontation comes ever nearer. And then got Transformers 40, the Sinking Man's comic. <laughs> And then the comic finishes with Interface, the precursor to the A to Z. Yeah. It's a fact file on Scavenger. Yes. With basically uh, the box, some of the uh, line art from the box, box on instructions, with obviously the barrels and stuff. Probably taken from the A to Z by this point actually, because Universe came out in 86, I imagine it's been written by then. Uh, I'm not sure. 
There you go. And the yeah. advert on the back is for Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Now the thing is, the Optimus Prime Megatron advert was normally on the back cover for a huge amount of yeah. time. So this is the one thing where I think the UK comic has the leg up on the US one is there wasn't a lot of adverts for Transformers. Uh, toys in the Marvel comics because it was generally the, the people that paid for their adverts got them in a whole range of Marvel comics. It wasn't yeah. just you advertising one, you got mm -hmm. all the issues that month. Yes. So we always had adverts for the toys right away to the end. There was always an advert. Yeah, I remember adverts for the classic toys of 91, 1991. Like Overlords. was a kind of competition more of. Yeah, yeah, sea cons, yeah, but oh. But it's one of these things where we always had an advert telling us what was coming out. Mm -hmm. So even if you never saw it on the shelves, you knew there was new stuff coming out. Exactly. That was pretty much how I knew about new Transformer toys coming out, were adverts or competitions in the comic. Yeah. <sighs> Times. Which is one of the curious things about why, I think, going back to Panini Armada right the way through is, there's not, it's not seemed to be kind of as... There's adverts for almost everything else in it, but a lot of time not for Transformers. Yeah, I remember one of the oddness for the Time comic, when I was still reading it, was that often you'd have competitions that didn't involve any Transformer prizes. They don't just mean toys, but some, they're just random stuff. Which is fine, I mean, Transformers Transformers as I said, the death threat from the early, because he won a Global Cup video, and he got his name printed in the Transformers UK comics. They didn't have that, but you've got to have, you know, competitions for... No. There was always competitions for stuff. I, I, I entered some. In fact, I'm still extremely bitter and angry uh, about the Seacon uh, toy competition, circa 152. Extremely, I also am extremely bitter about uh, writing into when MicroMaster teams never get those either, you bastards. Where the fuck are my toys? Fuck you. That's why your comic got cancelled in January 1992. No, I got cancelled because Paul Neely decided they Don't bring reality into it. No, it's, it's, a, it's why, Pony, you you inked a lot of good Alan Davis stuff. That's you right. inked the, the last enjoyable Brian Hitch comics. Mm -hmm. The authority uh, issues 1 to 12 for anyone who wishes to know. But you spiked Transformers when it could have actually stayed a going concern for a little while longer. I've never quite forgiven you for that. I've never quite forgiven only The only upside to that, of course, is because, you know, we've bitterly regretted before that had it went into the monthly format, which was planned, with the recolor black and white and the five page there is the material. It probably with with the sales it had, it would have had enough momentum to almost certainly make it to generation two either. However, however, had that happened, we would have missed our five issues of glory from Fleetway. True. Of the glorious Fleetway five issue panoply that is the Generation Two UK comic. And the reason why as we all know, the reason why that only got five issues and indirectly spun Team UK, the fan club which brought us together many years later. It's true. A, a tear chunk, a tear. Yes, uh, is, is that uh, it was just too good to continue. Some things just burn too brightly and they just they just can't live that long. It's actually so bizarre that it's so ahead of its time. It actually is incredibly ahead of its time, yes. Because it's the kind of thing that you could drop onto the shelves in a supermarket now and it would not look out of place. No. And that's... Not a good thing. <laughs> no, it's not a good From thing. an objective point, I love, and should I ever have the funds to be able to do it, I would have printed Transformers Generation 2 UK Issue 6. Mm -hmm. I would do it. Just so it was done. Because I love that mad bastard big wallfee shit that was there. Ah, uh, and you've bought it out, you think that series has passed through your hands how many times? Several. 
I know it's went through my hands at least three times, only because uh, copies have been lost or damaged. Yes, I. The thing is, when it came out originally, uh, I had three copies of issue one, mm-hmm. two copies of issue two, and then I could only get one copy of issue three, four, and five. Uh, and some got damaged. So I recently. About two years ago, steam, steam, steaming the house and getting rid of all the old wallpaper. And unfortunately, I didn't take all my comics and seal them so they were safe. No. So a rather sizable amount of my comic collection had to go in the skip because it had that slight damp fusty smell to it. And there was comics above them and below them that went damp fusty. Transformers UKG2. It stayed firm. Stayed good. No fusty smell. It just, didn't comments like that, did it? You don't, you don't. But talking of fustiness and unreality, we bring you on to our last exciting topic, uh, which, which involved probably only about 10 minutes of listening pleasure for you, but perhaps the two hours of listening hell, uh, of viewing hell for us. We're going to watch Doctor Who, The Way Planet. So, just before we, we come back from our break, which will be inserted, we'll just give you a bit of background to it. Um, and we did a blob in the back. Uh, Doctor Who, starring William Hartnell, The Web Planet by Bill Strutton, who just by Vanity Lambert, directed by Richard Martin, who mm. originally broadcast on BBC One between the 13th of February and the 20th of March, 1965. That's right, 1965. A mysterious force pulls the TARDIS off course, stranding the Doctor, Ian, Barbara and Vicky on the mysterious alien world of Vortis. A fierce battle is raging between the moth-like men up trap, and giant insects known as Zarbi. But what is the dark secret that hides at the centre of the Zarbi's lair? We'll find out. Now, to explain the reason why we're going to watch this is, as I mentioned uh, earlier this episode in the last, I decided, you know what, it's 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Even Doctor Who, when it's poo, I still enjoy. Like what I was talking about somewhere earlier, I can still think something's a bit shit, but I can still get enjoyment out of it. So, I'm a diehard fan, so I've reacquired a few DVDs that previously went, and one of which is the aforementioned Web Planet. Now, when this DVD originally was issued in the space year 2005, uh, for the 40th anniversary of the Web Planet, um, this was before Andy and I uh, had, had honed their special skills of being able to sit through any level of crap without interruptions or breaks. So, when we watched the Web Planet, um, I had previously watched it myself. And, uh, and it was over with a friend of the podcast, Mr Thurgood. And, uh, but it was, they were suffering under so much pain trying to watch it that I, did, I just fast-forwarded through lots of it. So they only actually saw bits of it. So Andy, being a proper uh, Doctor Who fan, and also now hardened to being able to watch anything, as evidenced in the previous 58 episodes of this very podcast, is now going to sit there and watch all six episodes of this back-to-back without fast-forwarding. Now, to explain our current state, uh, before we watched the Met Planet, just, just, you know, whatever, uh, we have not had any alcohol at this particular point. Um, I didn't have toothache, but I don't have toothache anymore, so I might be able to. But all I've had, I've had, uh, I've had a Greg's uh, uh, disappointing cold pizza slice, and the uh, fantastic new uh, banana uh, milkshake donut, very nice. Had some orange juice, very good. Uh, so that's all the substances that I have had. I've had no caffeinated beverages as yet. I've had no uh, alcohol. This means I've had no special protection. Andy, what have you had today? Just some 
some Pepsi and some Chapel. Yeah, I've had some caffeine, but I'll start with. I always have caffeine. Okay, so uh, we're going to watch all this, and then once we've watched it, we'll come back and give you our thoughts on it. An exciting, roughly 10 minute burst of this episode. It's already running far too overlong. And uh, we'll then at that point tell you how you got through it. through that entire episode with no alcohol whatsoever. Which, quite frankly, was not the wisest idea. It was the wisest idea to power through with alcohol. It was a fantastic idea. Because that proves, it proves that we're men. It proves that we can, we can control ourselves uh, to high degree. We don't need stimulants to get through perhaps slightly mediocre Dr. Who serials. Well, slightly mediocre that takes a sudden dive off a cliff into absolute awful... Well, the thing is, right, the reason why I wanted to watch this is I remember this, as we said before, it's one of those ones that, although I'm a diehard fan, it's one I struggle a bit with. And I remember it being a bit like a Mars bar, but one of the dark chocolate Mars bars. So you think you're going to get something really good, and it turns out not to be good at all. That's what I thought it was. But actually, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad, actually. I would say, the first episode, quite watchable. Yep, Second episode, dragged. Dragged to be a bit, but, but still watchable, better than I remembered. Episode 3 picked up the pace a bit. Picked up the pace a wee bit, and then episode 4 happened. Yes. Introducing some random other. Email. So, Andy, they won't know what the plot of the web planet is. Uh, okay, so the TARDIS gets pulled off course from wherever it's supposed to be going to uh, planet Vortis, which uh, 
populated by the Zorbi, mm -hmm. who are big ants, or what actually is supposed to be ants, but looks like dudes in half a panther costume. Making a eight-bit computer noise yes. all the fucking time. Uh, yes, the planet also is uh, in a lot of soft focus through the aid of Vaseline on the lens. It does Which does not, actually work, actually. Yes, and does makes it look not unlike Krypton. It's true, even, even some of the creatures on it use uh, crystal technology yes. to summon an evasion fleet, which we will never see. Yes. Uh, so you have uh, the Monopter, who look kind of like the panto version of Buzz Off from Masters of the Universe. Turns out the Zarbi are actually peaceful, but they're enslaved by the Animus. Uh, a strange, mysterious force from beyond space. Yes, which, when we see it, it's just all tentacles and a floating brain type thing with a glowing light ball underneath. Uh, and basically, there's all sorts of shenanigans trying to get rid of the animus. Uh, we had we had other other exciting uh, creatures. Yeah. There are these sort of like carpet bug things, things that, that for some reason we have to go from the magic round of it. Yes, but but with a sort of pointy laser beam, they're quite fun because they they don't make shit noises. Yes. And they just zoom around and kill things. Yeah. So that we like them. They're quite good. They're quite zippy. But one of the distinguishing features of the web planet, the reason why. Uh, for many years, um, I'm told from reading third-hand accounts, because I was far too young to be in the fandom at the time, but before the web planet was released on VHS, um, this had a certain mystique uh, from the viewers at the time, because there are no human characters, or humanoid characters, other than the Doctor and his companions, are all weird uh, bug uh, insect type creatures. Which, to be fair, is, as many people pointed out, is something that the production team in 2013 would probably uh, go, no, yes. <laughs> doing that because it's incredibly hard to realise. So they, they try. We've introduced it. So we've got those aforementioned alien features. Uh, we also have these sort of uh, grub type things called the Optera, yeah. which are. Well, how to describe them? Eight. They are. They are. They kill. The they kill any episode they're in Stone Dead. Yeah, the the little grub type things that jump up and down and talk. Supposedly, sort of obviously a more primitive form of insect life. Yes, they they live below ground and they're they're frightened of the light and the air yeah. that exists up above on the planet Vortis. Uh, the planet Vortis, as we said, uh, partly through the smearing on on the lens, um, slightly less effective in DVD version than. VHS vision because because when you're seeing the whole thing be mastered to a higher level, suddenly that blowing on the lines occasionally does annoy me. But but once you get used to it, it's fine. As it does actually add a bit to the atmosphere. Yep. The considering the size of the studio they're shooting this thing in for the period, I would say the alien sets actually are quite effective, particularly the exteriors. Yes. Um, it's it's not too bad. It, it looks quite good. It has an atmosphere. What's quite nice is there's echo in the voices all yep. the time when they're outside. Adds to the alien atmosphere. That's quite a job. I was, I was in the first half of the story. I was surprised actually how watchable it was. When I remember the whole thing being quite slow and tedious, it was fine. I had at no point. I, I was thinking, you know what? I can just power through with my cherry bakewell alpine light cereal bar. I don't require any additional uh, chemicals of any kind, uh, caffeine or alcohol related whatsoever to get me through. This isn't too bad. But then the problem is that the the creatures that jump up and go. Oh, 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 oh. You know, they, they are AIDS. They make this, they grind the whole And, and the story almost comes to a natural end, but then keeps going with two episodes to go. Yes, so it's a four episode story stretched to six. But even then, even then, I'm looking for <coughs> annoyance of it. I actually think it holds up better than, than, than some other ones. Yeah. Surprisingly, actually, I, I was expecting to struggle. I mean, I haven't watched it since 2005 when the DVD originally came out. 
It just um, needs the, as Raph was saying while we were watching it, as if the last episode hadn't been filmed. Or had yes, yes. Just the audio. Because to be honest, the, the, the last episode, episode 6, not, uh, titled The Centre, uh, is, is by far the weakest bit because at this point the story is not actually over and then there's all sorts of crazy battles and shenanigans. And we are also asking Richard Martin to stage a fight scene. Uh, <laughs> yes, Richard Martin. Um, Arguably, probably one of the worst directors Doctor Who's ever had. I am quite critical of him, but I only criticise him in relation to the other episodes produced at the same time because yeah. we see surviving episodes from the same studios shot on the same budget and same schedule Chop it well and exhibit A, the first Alex serial. Look at the episodes that Christopher Barry directs, look at the episodes that Richard Martin directs. Same sets, same actors, same budget, same time frame. Some of those episodes look great, some of those episodes don't look so good. And you know which ones are which. Yeah, which is a bit of a shame, but I'll have to give everyone a bit of credit because the level of ambition is quite, it's quite sky high yes. for any period. As I said, I don't think even. 2013 TV Doctor Who would even bother trying that. There we go. For one thing, they are, they still cannot do a story that doesn't have a tie to Earth yeah. at all. Even if it's an alien planet, there have to be Earth people there. Which is one of my slight bugbears with modern Doctor Who. It's like, can we just have a story where it's got fuck all to the Earth in any way at all? Please. Yeah. I also will tend to lean towards uh, space. There's some things to enjoy. There's the uh, Doctor and Ian uh, wear atmospheric density jackets. And the Doctor's stupid hat. Doctor's stupid hat. Um, there's, a, a, there's an intentionally un- amusing cliffhanger to the fifth episode. When I say amusing, normal people would just watch it and go, ah, that's a cliffhanger. What we saw was, we saw a giant fatless come at a wall, fire the white spooge device, which covered the Doctor and Vicky, who groaned a lot, and then were all white and spooged. And then you have the animus being basically hentai. Yeah, because um, yeah, in the last episode, the Doctor and Vicky, they all come towards the animus, the strange mind space creature thing whatever uh, this, this making the planet all evil and enslaving the Zarbe and wants to take over the earth and take over the universe and all sorts of and it's got all these tentacles and Harlow just walks towards it as the doctor goes and just head face down the tentacles and then spends the rest of the episode wrapped up in tentacles while the, the animus creature uh, kind of moves up and down and pulsates while occasionally moaning in a rhythmic fashion Honorable mention for the Zar the uh, Minot the Minot in episode 2 but the that's uh, true, yeah. Uh, things. Yes, uh, the, the fabulous uh, knockoff buzz, uh, buzz off from He Man. He does have a stick, does attack, but a stick action. Dr. Shadow never gets a stick. Yeah. Um, so, really, in the final analysis, um, the Red Planet, not the worst Doctor Who I've ever seen, but possibly one of the worst single episodes of Doctor Who I've ever seen. Bizarrely enough, I actually, that strangely enough, worked better watched in one go than when I previously watched it and watched an episode at that time and I did find it right. But you know, and that's, again, like we were talking about earlier, totally sunbowed, my little rant about, hey, it's half it's all shit. It's like, no, no, the reasons why we get into this stuff is, I do like occasionally to reappraise something that I don't remember being particularly great, and sometimes it can be pleasantly surprising, I'll say it for about half the running time there, I've actually come away with it with a, a much better opinion of it than I did the last time, and in roughly eight years' time, when I feel compelled to watch it again, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, but I would say, you know, if, if the DVD is cheap, uh, it's worth checking out for one notable factor the web planet did give the world. Because um, when this was released in 2005, it was before the, uh, what we now call audio world, but it was BBC Audiobooks or something, yeah. it was called at the time, had started to employ uh, William Russell to read audiobooks, because it was before someone said, hang on a minute, 
we've got all these old back catalogue of Doctor Who Tiger books, why don't we turn them into audiobooks? And I remember when I got this DVD, I had an extra on it, which is uh, called uh, The Layer of the Zarbi Supremo, which is a text story from the very first Doctor Who annual of the same era, that's why it's on the DVD. And um, as William Russell reading the story, it takes about 40 minutes to listen to it. And it's fantastic. I remember listening to the time and going, wow, these are really good reader. And it was the first sign that you could do it. Since then, a man who's almost in his 90s, he's 88, 89, whatever that age now, and he's uh, reading five or a lot of audiobooks in one take, apparently, (laughs) to this day. And uh, quite frankly, if I can still um, do anything of any kind at all when I'm that age, I'll be quite happy. So I think if you've not seen it, and you find it cheap, and it is very cheap now, it's one of the, you can get it for a fiver or less. If you haven't seen it, it's worth a fiver or something, just to um, experience a very unusual and different type of serial. Um, you at least admire the, the audacity of it, and it does have one of the best extras in the DVD range. So, that was Doctor Who my plan. Yes. And this time, our cliffhanger is that something will happen in the next episode, but we don't know what! Nothing to do with we haven't planned it. Shh, this is carefully planned out. Shh, but it's very exciting because then we head into episode 60, which is a milestone. Because it's the first episode to have six at the start. Yeah, not much of a milestone. It's a milestone for me. I yeah. take my, my nice things when I go. So uh, until then, uh, you can find me on Twitter at star underscore dub. Slight change to the old Twitter name just because it's easier. Andy, where can we find you? Uh, uh, Twitter again at Andrew D. Turnbull. There's not also a fabulous website where the daily extracts is one going yes. uh, uh, comedy strip is, coll- is collected. Yes, again along with uh, where the Standard Podcast is host, which is www.star-w.com. Uh, you can read the crazy amounts of Straxis and I believe you can order his first print collection. Yes, which uh, prizes on book one and also the precursor to that, the daily long tooth, which uh, was from back in the house in the year 2008 and, and features long tooth, shockwave and Ralph. So that's it. um, Stop listening. Goodbye. Farewell.
Yeah. <laughs>